Good morning. Yeah, it's good to see you. Uh, to quote comedian Emo Phillips, who said, when I was a kid, I used to pray every night for a new bicycle. Then I realized the Lord doesn't work that way, so I stole one and asked him to forgive me. Well, last week it was uh, Pastor John's uh, job. Uh, we have two Pastor Jonathans now, so JK. It was JK's job to deal with that dilemma regarding our Father in Heaven to forgive us our debts. This week it's my job to answer the question, if it was your bike that he stole, what would you do? If it were your reputation that she stole, what would you do? If it were your innocence that he stole, what would you do? If it were your pension that they stole, what would you do? If it were your husband that she stole, what would you do? If it was your father that abandoned you, what would you do? If it were your, you fill in the blank this morning, um, ask God to reveal to you probably the most painful experience or memory of your life, whether current or past. If it were your blank that he, she, they stole, took from you, did to you, didn't do for you, what would you do? You know, those are all hypothetical questions, but for many here this morning, maybe even all of us, to some level, including me, they're not hypothetical, they are real. Some of you have unjustly lost innocence, trust, careers, money, reputation, health, loved ones. You've lost your peace at the hands of others. What did you and what will you do with those things? These are questions that I trust we can gain some clarity on this morning as we continue in our series, Pray Like This, from Matthew chapter 6. So in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15, Jesus said to his disciples, when they asked him to teach them how to pray, he said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Oh. That's heavy. Why don't we take a moment to pray and collect our thoughts. God, we, we have just prayed. And um, to, to sort of supplement that, I would ask that you would drown out all other voices and distraction this morning from our midst that we might truly uh, discern and understand your will today, your kingdom. Um, and that w in whatever way you want to apply this word to our hearts by your Holy Spirit, through your word, whether it be a, a word of encouragement or comfort, 
or challenge or conviction to us as a, as a body or as individuals, I pray that you would do that. We invite you to do that. And that uh, we would submit to that and be healed today, Lord. That's my desire in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's section of the Lord's Prayer is undoubtedly, in my mind, without question, probably the most difficult section to pray. Um, you know, the other one is your will be done because that entails a lot of things. So when, but literally, to forgive others as we've been forgiven is a very practical outworking of the kingdom of God as we're going to see from another text we'll study today and his will being done. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, to forgive others is a very practical outworking of that. I mean, we all like to have our needs met. We all like to be forgiven. We all want God's deliverance and protection over us. But to forgive others is where the rubber really meets the, the road and where a lot of us just draw a line. And so today we need to get this because not getting this means not getting the gospel. The issue of forgiving others goes to the very heart of the gospel because it is rooted in my own forgiveness. And when I realize just how much God has done for me in the person of Jesus Christ that we just sang about, that in my sinful, unholy, filthy, enemy of God state, 100%, 100% spiritually dead and unable to resurrect myself, when I consider that he died for me and forgave all my iniquity, I cannot ignore this one line, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So we'd better get it. And to truly get it, let's allow Jesus to expand on it, not me. Jesus uh, not only said, pray like this, uh, but regarding this issue in particular, he went on to give a fuller explanation. It's interesting. Not only immediately after the prayer, you know, in verses 14 and 15, but later on in the Gospel of Matthew as well. He repeats himself and explains it more fully. So let's go there to Matthew chapter 18 this morning. Pastor John went there a little bit last week. And, and let's read what is probably the most profound teaching on forgiveness ever recorded. And then we're going to develop a what I call a theology of forgiveness. What and why. This, these, I will call them in our outline, the principles of forgiveness. And then we're going to do a brief look at practically how do we do this? How do we apply it? The principles and the practice of forgiveness. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. 
But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Let's get into some of the principles this morning, a theology of forgiveness. First of all, from this text and from the Lord's Prayer, forgiveness is limitless, limitless. And there are two ways this morning that forgiveness is without limit. First, forgiveness is limitless in the amount of times or the frequency that we are to forgive. Peter um, thought he was uh, pretty special here. He's like, okay, um, I'll do it seven times. Now, in that culture, you know, seven was sort of a complete number, a, a number almost signaling perfection. And Peter thought, boy, I am pretty good. Seven times, Lord. Peter had his limit. What about you this morning? What's your limit? Everybody's got a limit. What is it? Jesus blew Peter's limit completely out of the water when he said, no, not seven, but 77. Some translations say 70 times seven, but the math is not the point. Whether it's 77 or 490, what Jesus meant that everybody around him would have understood in that culture was that there is no limit. It is as often as needed. It is infinite. Secondly, within the limits of forgiveness, forgiveness is limitless in the amount of debt that we are to forgive. Not just the amount of times that we forgive, but the amount of debt. Now, in, in my Bible here, my ESV, at the bottom there's a footnote and it says, a talent was a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. One talent, 20 years. Now, I'm not a great mathematician, but 20 years times 10,000 talents is uh, 200,000, I think, years. Now, that was for a general laborer, okay? Now, so this guy here, he was a servant taking care of the master's books, maybe. So let's say he's an executive and he makes 100 times more than the general laborer. So take 200,000 divided by 100 and you're still left with what, 2,000 years to repay? So let's say the guy earned an insane amount of money and he earned a 1,000 times more than the average person. It would still take him 200 years to pay off his debt. And uh, in other words, impossible. His argument was totally ridiculous. Master, Jesus, you know, give me just the next, you know, two or three hundred years, maybe a couple of thousand, and, and you'll, you'll get your money. Uh, uh, yeah, right. Cuckoo. 
in a creditless, technology-less society where there was no online gambling, this guy racked up an impossible debt load. Like, how is that even possible? Another question for you this morning is, what kind of debt load do you carry today? I'm not talking about money. What burdens, what sins, what regrets, what failures, what mistakes, what deep shame, what true guilt have you or are you currently carrying? What's your debt load? And how are you ever going to pay it back? The answer is you can't. You can't. This is an important question to answer as we consider the issue of forgiving others. You see, the irony of the story is that the guy who was thrown into jail by the guy who was just forgiven and who couldn't pay the debt, that guy could have paid. A hundred denarii was a day's wages. The guy owed him a hundred bucks. And this is how silly and yet how, how serious the whole situation of unforgiveness is. And what we're really talking about is the debts that we carry. So the second principle of forgiveness is this. It's not only limitless, but it is debt-based. Another way of saying it is that there's a cost to forgiveness because sin always requires a payment. Always. Pastor John did a great job with this last week. That debt requires a payment. The Bible says that our hearts are deceitful, all of us, above all things, and that they are desperately sick. Jeremiah 17. The Bible says that each one of us, like a sheep, has gone astray by following our own ways and our own desires rather than God's ways for us. Isaiah 53. Paul wrote in in Romans 7 that there is absolutely nothing good that lives in us. And just before that, he said that we have all sinned and we carry a tremendous debt load that can't be explained away, it can't be excused away, it can't be buried, it can't be denied. And whenever an offense occurs, an account settlement must be made. And the king called the servant in to settle accounts and ordered that everything that this man had, even his family, his wife and his kids, be sold to pay for the debt. You see, even bad debt that is written off has to appear on the book somehow. Ultimately, somebody has to pay. And here's the thing. And this is why forgiveness is so hard and why so many people choose not to do it. The innocent party is the one who pays. Sure, the offender pays a price. Everyone pays a price when it comes to offense or sin, but the innocent party pays the highest price. That's what Jesus did, right? Jesus, who had no debt, No offense was in his mouth or committed. Sinless, perfect, took on a tremendous debt load so that we could have ours canceled. When I write off someone's debt against me, it means that I must willingly live with the consequences of their actions 
and it means that I must give up my desire for retribution or revenge and rather leave that up to God who will repay. That's what his word says. He will do it. And he'll do it in a far more effective way than I ever could. But that's so hard, isn't it? It's so hard to write off someone's debt because there's a cost, a high cost that many people are unwilling to pay. But you see, the, off- the opposite of forgiveness means that I want them to pay. But they can't. Remember the story? They can't. It's impossible. And, and yet I still try to exact that payment. How many of you have ever had an offense committed against you? Somebody sinned against you and you wanted them to pay. Like, there's only two honest people in this room. Like, what is, what is wrong here this morning? Like, I'm, am, I the only, am I only the third one that has ever felt that way? Man, we want people to pay. But they can't. In unforgiveness, no one wins. Not me, not my offender, and not even my fellow servants in the kingdom. The innocent bystanders who Jesus said in the story were greatly distressed and they were put in the awkward, awkward position of reporting their fellow servant to the king. They had to turn him in. How awkward is that? Nobody wins when unforgiveness happens. Listen closely to this. The cost of, of forgiveness is high, but the cost of unforgiveness is higher. The merciless servant, as a result of his unwillingness to write off his offender's debt, subjected himself to two things in this story. He subjected himself to the anger of the master, the wrath of God. And he subjected himself to the torture of the jailer. I'm going to talk more about that later. You know, it's been said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will die. Third principle about forgiveness, not only is it limitless and debt-based, but it is impossible. Forgiveness is impossible without pity and mercy. Mercy is at the core of this story. Compassion, understanding, grace. Um, Shakespeare, William Shakespeare said, sweet mercy is nobility's true badge. If you want to be a noble person, embrace sweet mercy. Pastor John did a fantastic job on this last week, but he spoke about the mercy of God toward us. What about our mercy toward others? I'm going to come back to that later. Number four, forgiveness requires total release. Forgiveness requires total release. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. He let him go. Some of you uh, know a little bit about my story. I'm going to share a couple aspects this morning of who I am. But a part that some of you have heard was uh, a very painful ending and exit to a pastorate that I held, uh, which happened at the end of 2011 with a very, very difficult resignation. And I'm not proud to say it, but I want to let you know that I held on to the offenses of that whole encounter for over a year. Over a year. Before entering a process 
of release with the help of a professional mediator. You see, um, after that whole experience, I was invited by that church to enter a process of reconciliation. I could choose a mediator. It, it, it took me another year to say yes. And so with the help of Alan Simpson, who's a professional, he teaches at the Justice Institute, Christian guy. We entered a process which took several months, very painful months. And when it was over, I kid you not, when it was over, the following week, I get a call from this guy in Agassiz. And here I am. That's the short story. If you want to hear the longer story, you have to buy me a coffee and then we'll talk. I love doing that with people. But only if it helps you. So after, I, I had kept in touch with Alan for a while, the mediator after the process was over, and I told him what was going on in my life, and he said, Alan, I'm not surprised at all. And he said, here's why. He said, up until last week, um, you were holding on to stuff. And you were holding on to it so tight that God was not able to do anything for you. He was not able to give you anything new. But the moment that you really finally released it, and you released all those people, your hand was open to receiving something new from God. and I love what I do. This new thing that I've received from God is probably one of the biggest blessings in my life because it was so directed and ordained by God directly. It was an amazing story. I love this church. I love Agassiz. I love the people there. I love to preach. I love to shepherd. But forgiveness requires that you open your hand Colossians 3 verse 13 says this, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That means you no longer hold it against people. You have to release them. Now, this doesn't mean that it never happened. This doesn't mean that you deny what happened or that there are consequences for your offender's actions against you. But the offense doesn't have a grip on you where you release it to God and he can deal with it in his way and in his time. Fifth principle is that forgiveness not only requires total release, but it results in total release. Forgiveness is like a soft summer rain that comes on a dry, brown, hard patch of ground that just soaks it up and becomes green again. Release not only to the offender, the guilty party, but release to the offended as well, the victim, who in the unforgiving state is also the guilty party. We have to remember that. I was guilty of unforgiveness. And total release and forgiveness comes not only to the perpetrator or the offender, but to the victim as well. And also to the innocent bystander who, in their great distress, were put in a situation of conflict and finally went, ah. It's happening. 
So the opposite is true. If forgiveness results in release, unforgiveness results in bondage. The king handed the unforgiving servant when he had been forgiven that impossible debt and he threw the other guy, he owed him a hundred bucks into jail. The first thing the angry master did was throw him into, he handed him over to the jailer. That's what our, the ESV says. The King James Version I like better. It's closer to the original. It means tormentor. In the NAV, it says he handed them over to the jailer to be tortured. And that's what that word means. It means an oppressive jailer, tormentor, and torturer. Listen, that jailer is Satan. You, you, take a look, you do a little study in, in Corinthians where an offender against people in the church at that time, it was very grievous what was happening to God, sexual sin, all kinds of bad stuff. He was put out of the church. Second letter was written, take him back. He's changed. He's repented. Forgive him. And in that, in that letter, Paul says literally in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, if you don't forgive him, you are going to be tricked by Satan. He's got you. Do you want to be in bondage this morning to the devil, living in his jail, enduring his torment? You see, to not forgive is to place yourself under Satan's authority, and that is an awful place to be. No, it's more than awful. It is an evil, horrifying place which leads unforgiving people to do evil, horrifying things to others. It is a place from the pit of hell, literally. A place that is so opposed to the gospel, so opposed to the good news of Jesus, so far from grace, and yet so many through anger and bitterness and revenge, which results in all kinds of addictions and unhealthy behaviors, so many choose to live there. And yes, I'm using the word choose very carefully because forgiveness and unforgiveness is a choice. It is purely an act of the will. There are times, and I had to do it, where I did not feel like forgiving. But I did. And I said the words... And you see what happens is when you say the words and you exercise the will and you make a choice to forgive, even though you don't feel like it, there is a bondage that is broken. In the spiritual realm, when you are living under Satan's authority because you're unforgiving, when you declare forgiveness, that bondage is gone. Amen? That's not very hearty. <laughs> Do you believe it? Amen. And that's what freedom is all about. I'm going to put in a big plug for freedom session a few times today. So just hang on to your hats. Unforgiveness, friends, is a sin. We need to call it what it is. Because it is choosing something that is in direct opposition, in direct disobedience to the will of God. So when we pray, your kingdom come and your will be done, it is God's will that you forgive all over scripture, Ephesians 4.32 is pretty clear. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It is a command. One that if, it, if he did, always results in total release of you, your perpetrator, and your innocent bystanders. But if you don't, it results in bondage. Number six, 
forgiveness is conditional. We, we don't like to hear this, but it's true. God's love for us is completely unconditional, but his forgiveness is not. In, this, in, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven those others' debts. For if you went, Jesus said, he goes on to say, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, then neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's very clear. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, oh, to forgive others, it, it, it requires humility and it is humiliating. It's another reason why people don't want to do it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, unforgiveness, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The bad news is unforgiveness is sin. And when we live there, we're in bondage. The good news is if we confess it and we release others, we're set free. We're forgiven. God is faithful. He is just and he will do it. The same principles between God and me apply to me and others. We have no option. It's a command. And so we need to confess and repent if we're living in unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a sin, but unforgiveness is not unforgivable. You heard it here first. That's my saying. Put, put it on the website, okay? Unforgiveness is a sin, but unforgiveness is not unforgivable. If, if it's confessed like any other sin. Because God will not, he cannot forgive unconfessed, unrepentant sin. He just can't. So this morning, if you are harboring unforgiveness or you're living in bitterness, I want to I shoot really straight with you this morning if I haven't said it already. Then you're living in a state of unforgiveness. And that guilt, along with the guilt of any other unconfessed sin in your life, it'll mess you up. Matthew 18.35 is a very, very sobering verse because by living in unforgiveness, you are inviting double trouble, not only the torture of the jailer, but the anger of a holy God. And I want to plead with you this morning, don't go there. And I'm going to give you the opportunity today to get out of that. And the only way out is to go to Jesus. That's the first practical part of, of forgiveness. But before we get there, I want you to hear me say something very clearly. Don't hear me say that God's forgiveness is based on our works. That is absolutely wrong. God's forgiveness is based solely on the finished redeeming work of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary, period. What I am saying is that his forgiveness for me already accomplished is rejected by my unwillingness to forgive as he forgave me. As one author wrote, which I like, our actions, my actions, demonstrate my faith and the extent to which I understand God's grace. 
So number two, let's talk about the practice of forgiveness. First of all, the principles, now the practice. How do I do this? We have no other option except, first of all, to go to Jesus. And the reason for that, it's so crucial to come to the cross of Christ and, and to kneel before the cross is because it, it is before the cross that we kneel before the one who, who knows how to pay for sin, who has forgiven debt, and who has released us from bondage. He has already done that. And we need to go to somebody who has experience. I can't identify with somebody who hasn't been through the same experience that I have, and Jesus has all the experience in the world. So when we go to Jesus, the first thing we need to do at the foot of the cross is we must confess unforgiveness as sin. Jesus called the unmerciful servant wicked. Therefore, unforgiveness is a grievous evil in his sight. We just simply need to call it what it is. Because a time is coming when my account and your account will need to be settled. And I want to ask you this morning, is it settled? Are you living in the red or are you living in the black? And here's the thing. The blood of Jesus, the red that he took on for you, is what will set it straight. You'll be at zero. In fact, you'll be ahead of zero. You'll have money in the bank. And so when we go to Jesus, we need to confess. But then secondly, we need to ask him for the ability to forgive from the heart. That's what our scripture says. It will take his power and his grace to do it. So while we're at the foot of the cross, we say, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I have not forgiven. And I need you, Jesus, to help me demonstrate grace and mercy to others. And you see, you can do this without ever going to your offender. In fact, I would say in most cases... You, you really don't want to do that because they either might not be ready, they might deny it, they might wound you again. They might not even be aware of how deeply they hurt you. You can release them and you can forgive them and that's between you and God. And so we need to go to Christ because in First Peter... The one who witnessed firsthand the suffering of Jesus on our behalf wrote this, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. That's why we have to go to Jesus. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten think about it. Jesus could have reviled and threatened and snuffed out everybody because he's God. But he entrusted himself to his father. But he continued entrusting himself, Peter wrote, to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And that's my prayer for you this morning is that you might be healed through forgiveness. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
And here's where I want to put in a big plug for Freedom Session because Freedom Session will teach you how to do this properly. Forgiveness is one part. There's making amends for your sins. There's, oh, there's your closet inventory, those shameful things you don't want to tell anybody. There's all kinds of stuff that you're going to need to inventory. You're going to need to go in depth. You're going you're gonna to need to pray through prayers. You're going to need to get real specific. It is a process. So for an example of Emo who stole my bike, I might say something like, Father, when Emo stole my bike, I was not only in shock and disbelief, but I was angry. I had visions of pushing him off my bike and making him bleed on the sidewalk. I was crushed. I looked for my bike for days. I cried myself to sleep because that bike was so beautiful. It was brand new. The pain was unbearable. I wanted to find him and I wanted to steal something of his that brought him so much joy. I spent the entire summer sitting on my front porch watching all my friends ride their bikes and someone offered me their old beat up rusty bike but it wasn't the same as my shiny new one. In fact, it was kind of embarrassing and humiliating. And then I had to set up a lemonade stand to get enough money to replace my bike. And then while others are watching, riding their bikes and I'm making lemonade that I long to drink for instead of, you know, instead of slaving in the sweltering smoke infested heat, I had to make lemonade. You get the picture, very specific. But then as you continue in prayer, you choose to forgive, you turn emo over to God and you tell him, I will bear the consequences of his actions against me without trying to seek revenge or retribution. I ask God to forgive me for trying to protect my own heart instead of him doing that for any harmful thoughts and attitudes and actions against emo, I ask God to heal me, to release me from revenge. In fact, to not only bless my life, but to bless emo's life and to give me a love for him and the courage, if I've done anything wrong, to make amends with him or anyone else. And when you do this, you take away Satan's authority, but you, 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 you cancel it. You wipe it clean. It is done. And the numbers are set straight in the ledger. So the next thing uh, that we do after going to Jesus with all of that, and the, the process is layered, it, it happens at the same time really, is, is we need to go to a trusted friend or mentor. This is where Freedom Session is so helpful because we have accountability in a, in a small group. And then on a weekly basis. And then from there, it's broken down into during the week with three others. And there it's broken down to one other person who is your sponsor through the process. And that sponsor could be somebody in Timbuktu that nobody in Chilliwack knows from a hole in the ground. But to one person, you need to confess everything. Confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. It's important. I've done it twice. And if your offender or perpetrator seeks you out to make amends, you have to be wise in do I go there or not. You see, the issue in Matthew 18, verse 15, early on is different. That is if it's, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you or your sister, you go show him his fault. That's different than forgiveness. The issue of forgiveness is between you and God. Because I said they may not be ready for that. It may not be a good process, but the freedom session process will help you with all of that. Here's the thing. If your perpetrator, even if they don't, 
comes, but especially if they come to you to make amends and confesses and begs. We need to show patience and we need to show mercy. That is the third thing about practically is we need to find it in our heart to have mercy. Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, O woman, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? See, to do justice means that we don't deny it happened. The account needs to be set straight. And to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Mercy demands humility. It must be from the heart. You know that passage in Romans chapter 12? I'm not going to read it, but I, I want you to go home and read it today. In Romans 12, there's a passage where Paul talks about not repaying evil for evil, not avenging, but leaving room for God's wrath. You know, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, drink him. Or give him, drink him. You don't want to drink him. You want to give him some drink, right? <laughs> Major full pop. Anyway, all of that stuff about your enemy. When you do that, it says, it's like heaping burning coals in your head, on his head. And, and so like, that, that passage is so often misunderstood. And just a couple of weeks ago, I heard a great interpretation of that. Because if you follow that practice of heaping burning coals on a person's head, there's always a reason why things are written. It's, it's not that you want to scorch them with shame and making them feel bad and, and you're going to ruin their life by feeding them dinner. It literally goes back to days, biblical Old Testament times, when, when people were in great need and they ran out of fuel because they, they cooked everything on fire, right? That was their source of fuel for cooking, for keeping warm. And when that was getting low and a person's fire went out, the community helped. And what a person would do is put a pot on their head and they would go around and their neighbors would heap burning coals in so they could get another fire going. Wow. And so what you're doing when you forgive somebody is you're giving them another opportunity at life. Because God gave you an opportunity for life. First Peter picks up on that as well, chapter 3. I'm not going to read it, but you can write it down and read it on your own. I want to say one more thing about um, the, the practical aspect of this. And this, I'm not good at it. I think I'm getting better. My wife helps me with it. And that is to keep short accounts. Once you've de dealt with all of that impossible stuff and your bank account is at zero, try to keep it that way on a daily basis. And we talk about this in the office all the time. Keep short accounts. If somebody's offended you, somebody's sinned against you, big or small, go deal with it quickly so that it doesn't build up. So as we conclude this morning, I literally as I was preparing this sermon, I read an awesome quote on Facebook from a friend and it's so true. It said this, we cannot pray in love and live in hate and still think that we are worshiping God. But you say, I can't do it. I, I, I can't forgive that. I can't. And, I, and my response to you this morning is no, that's not true. You won't. There's a big difference between being unable and unwilling. 
I know the difference because I was unwilling. But I know that it is possible and able. Even if it takes some help, get the help. Freedom session is cheap. For $60, three payments of 20 spread out over a whole year, you're getting thousands of dollars worth of professional counseling, trust me but it's in a safe group of your peers and pastors and people who love you. If you don't think it's possible, I want you this morning to go read Genesis 37 to 50, all of those chapters. It's the story of Joseph, and it's my favorite story in the Bible. And you say, ah, pastor, what do you know? You're just reading a story. Let me tell you a little bit more about my story. And I'm sharing it because hopefully it'll give you some courage and some hope in this area. At the age of of 10, I was sexually abused by a, a serial pedophile, a predator. And, that, and that, that experience for me was obviously very painful and confusing at the age of 10. But I went the next 16 years without any answers. And I was fortunate to get some answers, whereas many don't. But my perpetrator was brought to justice. So as a 26-year-old, I'm in my first pastorate. I had to go through a whole court process of giving testimony, along with countless other kids. That resulted in, it wasn't trial, it was a dangerous offender's hearing. It went straight to that level. My perpetrator actually admitted to all of the accusations against him by me and others. He was sentenced to an indeterminate uh, amount of time in jail. That means you're, it's not even life. It's like you're going in and you're not getting out. Of course, he was still legally entitled by the Constitution to probate our, you know, parole hearings, which we were always as victims notified of, invited to participate in, to give our statements again. He denied everyone that he was entitled to. And 13 years later, in 2008, he died in prison. And uh, another one of his victims who uh, was also receiving letters from victim services over the years, phoned me and said, hey, how do you feel? Like, are you happy that he's dead? Are you glad? And we came to the agreement, no, we're not, we're sad. We're sad because we don't know if he had been forgiven. We were never told where he was incarcerated never able to visit and we don't know did he die unforgiven or did he receive the mercy of the master in my experience in 2011 of being sidelined from ministry I dealt with a lot of anger and shame and depression And for two years being on the sidelines without the pay that I once had, without contributing to a pension, was in many ways 
almost harder to forgive than the abuse. To let that go cost me, literally. But I want to let you know that the blessing has been a hundredfold. And so as we wrap it up this morning, I'm going to invite Tyson, uh, Pastor Tyson and uh, the, 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 the team back to the stage. And I want you to take a connecting card out of the chair in front of you. And as you're holding it, I want you just to ask God this morning, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the name of at least one person that you need to forgive. Now, if there's nobody, don't force it. Put the card back. But chances are, I don't want you to write down the full name either. I want you just to write down the initials, maybe a little description of what happened. Put it in code. I don't care. You know. God knows. But I, I, I want this morning to be uh, the start of healing for you if, if, if you're stuck there. Who knows what would happen if Satan's authority in your life is broken, if you experience the peace of God within and peace with others, first yourself and everyone else around you, especially your offender or perpetrator. Forgiveness doesn't change the past. What it does is it changes the future. And that can be remarkable, not only for your life, but for this church. Imagine a church of people who are living with none of this baggage how much they could do for the kingdom of God. And we have so much opportunity around us right now in promontory and here all around us. There's so much, there's so much despair and homelessness and addiction and agassy in Lake Arak where there's poverty. And when Satan keeps us chained, we don't engage in any of that. But when we're free, we're free just to give ourselves to him and be merciful to others. So, Take that card, write down an initial, maybe a little code language of what would happen. And, and I would encourage you, if you don't want to, and prayer partners, take your spots because you, you may want to go and just ask for prayer. These are trusted, confidential people who will pray for you. Bring the card to me. Maybe we can talk about using it as registration for Freedom Session. <laughs> just had to get that in there. Or take your card. If you're not ready to talk to anybody yet, just come to the front and kneel at the foot of the cross where Jesus' blood ran red for you that you might be in the black. Let's pray. Jesus, we are indebted to you, really, because you, perfect as you are, paid for the debts that we all have. You forgave, you canceled the debt, you set us free. And by your help and in your power, God, we need your help to do this for others. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way this morning in people's hearts and nothing would be contrived, but that you, Holy Spirit, would just move the way you want to. We give this next time to you. In Jesus' name.